This podcast may contain disturbing content for some listeners. It's intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Bruce Maitland is still holding out hope he'll find his daughter. 17 years ago, Brianna Maitland went missing in Vermont. Today, her family and detectives are still searching for answers. But as NBC5 Zuri Hoffman explains, the intentions surrounding cases like this one can sometimes make them more difficult to solve. We also spoke with him at his Pennsylvania home a few years back. There's Brianna there again. It's now been nearly two decades since his then 17-year-old daughter, Brianna Maitland, was last seen leaving the Black Lantern Inn in Montgomery, Vermont, where she worked. Her car was later found backed into an abandoned barn. 17 years later, police still don't know what happened to her. My ultimate goal is to be able to bring some closure. Vermont State Police Detective Angela Baker has been the lead detective on the case for the past four years. What makes this case so difficult to solve? The rumor mill is just alive and well with this case. She also says there's very little evidence to go on. There had to have been foul play. The mystery has received a lot of attention. You go on the internet, you search Brianna Maitland. Um, just the information that comes up is just an obscene amount of information. And that means there's a lot for Baker to sift through. Anyone can write a blog and anyone can write information about this case. Assistant Professor of Cybersecurity at Champlain College says the veracity of information on the internet can often be used as a tool for investigators, but it can sometimes make it more challenging to determine fact from fiction. He says certain algorithms can help, but still, these things take time. Can I plug in keywords that only someone who was pretty intimate with what was going on would know about? or they made a statement about something that was not made public. Baker says despite the attention surrounding this case, she receives new leads every day and follows up on each one of them. She's urging anyone with information to come forward. What do you think is going to be the key to solving this? I think it's going to be that one person that knows what happened. As for Brianna's dad, Bruce, he's supporting other families who are also looking for their loved ones through his own private investigation foundation. And he's still hoping time will lead him to Brianna. Sometimes time is your friend, too. You know, people change, get older, circumstances change, and maybe that somebody that knows something that wouldn't come forward years ago may come forward now. In Montgomery, Zuri Hoffman, NBC5 News. There are certain names that people just know. Uh, when it comes to true crime, missing and murdered people there there are names that like you say them and and people go oh yeah i know that case more murray uh, a great example there are a lot of cases out there where the person has barely been reported missing or hasn't really been reported missing and it's so interesting to me to try and do an open records request or a FOIA request on someone who they're missing Nobody's quite sure where they're missing from or when they were last seen. And uh, we saw a lot of that with a couple of places. Um, it, it was interesting to me, like, what popped up in NamUs, like, in 2012 and 2013, where it was pretty clear that there was a list being developed by the FBI of like sort of unreported parties. Well, one of the things that we started to focus on was missing and murdered people who are sort of forgotten. Wyoming and Texas are good examples of that. Um, there's a Texas case. This is, this is my case. This is one of the things where I look at and I go, that's the stuck in the mud case. And with Texas, we always felt like we could probably get the most information from the last victim or victims or whatever was going on there. Um, you know, we, we never liked Jimmy Tidwell. Um, there were a number of reasons. There were like five cases that were similar to Jimmy Tidwell's. And we, I felt like they were linked and I tried to convince everybody else they were linked, but we did, we looked at two cases in Texas and this is the first one of those. There's one 
I would say this case is probably one of the craziest cases that we looked at. Uh, there's a, there's a, another case right after that that there's some unbelievable coincidences to go down. But with the stuck in the mud case, um, I you know I've been hunting that. I spent a lot of time on it in season one. Now back on it, trying to reach out to these families and the police associated with it. It's not like the Brianna Maitland case. That's the one that sticks in my head where. If I go hunting for Brianna Maitland information, every podcast has covered it. You can you can find photos of her car against the barn. You can find all this interesting information about what happened to her right before she disappeared. So with Texas, I was looking for something where there's virtually no information. And I found about six cases down there that, that were super interesting. Wyoming's the same way, but I honed in on one because we have these series of events where Keys is like sort of bamboozling his family and they're doing all of these things to try and help him. They're, they're driving to him. They want to pick him up. They think that he's gone out to fix his window and to, you know, to bury his guns. And, you know, he, we know that he sets a fire. We know that he robs a bank. We know that he pays his mom in cash for a plane ticket that had to be rescheduled. And I came across one that I could not get out of my head. And the deeper I dig into it, the less information I think I know. Uh, It's very frustrating with cases like this uh, related to law enforcement. And it's not that they don't have the information. It's that they have like little bits and pieces and they hold it open like it's an open case. This is from 2012. Okay, well, it's been nine years. So what, what is it that, that you're doing with that information? And there's a case I'm going to talk about today. There's this missing guy who was a welder and works you know, for different pipeline companies in the area. So he goes on the list. One of the places I ended up having to revisit was the last couple of months of Israel Key's freedom in 2012. Right. So we know that he killed Samantha Koenig. He goes on this uh, sort of decompensating uh, adventure where he has, um, and by decompensating, I mean, it's, it's sort of the end of his criminal enterprise, so to speak. Do you think he knew it was the end? Um, I don't know if he knew it was the end, but I think he, he had definitely upped his risk to the point that like he probably was not too surprised that it happened. What do you think? Do you think he knew? I don't know. Um, I think I definitely think he was taking more risk and I don't know like I if I could get inside of his head, because what I would want to know is why did he do it in Alaska right before he left? Because before this incident with Samantha Koenig, his MO was to travel and to do things while he was traveling. And so, like, was there some aspect of his trip that was suddenly changed that he felt like he wasn't? Because he, he talked about, like, getting an itch, right? Like, right. And not being able to control himself. And so that made me wonder, did something change? That's a good question. I mean, he so his online comments that he made that have now been attributed to him when Samantha Koenig was missing were interesting. Have you ever looked at those in the FBI files? I've seen them, yeah. So the ones that he, this when he's talking about common grounds, he's pretty harsh. Something about running a strip club and he's not surprised. They, the the couple of quotes that they pull that are in the early search warrants, they're interesting, but I don't know, like they're just kind of judgy and troll like, and you know, you're not been looking at a lot of troll behavior uh, recently. (laughs) You're following the case of summer Wells and I'm sort of following in the background on that case. I've, I've followed a number of cases over the years where I've seen it, in small increments, like a few comments that are sort of trolly. And, that, and for example, that's like when a missing person is mentioned and someone says like they're found or someone, you know, starts accusing someone close to them. 
And, and that's sort of what happened with the Samantha Koenig case. Uh, there was a, a guy in her life who sort of got accused, and her father got accused as well. But is really- I just wanted to clarify. Um, I don't know the strip club owner because he's the one who said anybody who provided information could like have his club or something like that. I don't know that that was the same as the common grounds owners. I, I don't know who it references because I've looked at all the pieces separate. I, the The gist of it was the article was about the reward. Israel Keys was judging someone in his online comments for their bad behavior. Their it bad was behavior. Really terrible. The, I thought he was trying to throw them off. Well, he was focusing it on owning a strip club. But my my point is, he was a serial killer. Even at that point, if he just killed the Couriers and Samantha Koenig, he's a serial killer. Right, and but I didn't feel like I didn't. I don't know if he was taking the higher ground, like on purpose. From what we know, is he would get into quite a bit of whiskey or whatever, and then he'd be like, "I need to go check on that," and so he would be <laughs> drunk in the midst of posting. Right. So what? We had looked at with him is, and you could find, you know, you could find some of this information elsewhere, but who we talked about last year was he leaves Alaska and he goes on a cruise. He even makes some snide comments about Samantha was not going on the cruise with him and the interrogations. And we had looked at Mark Julian Oldberry down in Vidor, Texas in Orange, which is right on the border um, of Texas and, and Louisiana, which would have been on his way to this cruise that he was going on. And he had, he would have had his daughter with him and he would have been meeting up with Kimberly. Is that right? He met Kimberly. Right. Well, they actually went to the kids Mardi Gras in New Orleans before the cruise. So I don't know how much time, like, I don't know how long he was there with his child before his girlfriend arrived. But he had a, a little bit of time and, and we seriously had considered him for Mark Oldberry. One of the questions I had, and you may or may not know off the top of your head, did he keep the rental car the whole time? Yeah, we talked about that in depth. That's what Uh, I thought. He did. He kept it the whole time, or there's an error in the uh, records. Right. So, and we couldn't because we talked. If you'll recall, um, we talked about like why someone would do that because it sat in a parking lot. Until like while they were on the cruise, yeah. And our assumption was we, we sort of we sort of split hairs on that, but basically, what we really thought it was was he had illegal things with him that he didn't want to be taken, guns, right? Because they go through all your stuff when you go on a cruise, right? It's very similar to getting on uh, an airplane, airplane. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but we ha- we had briefly posited the idea that maybe he had a, a body with him that was in the trunk of the car and. We never really got to the bottom of that, but Mark Oldberry was someone that I had looked at as possibly his last victim. My side of this, like me personally, not necessarily the the whole true crime excess group is, I don't think that Mark was the last victim. So we have what happened with Samantha Koenig. I do believe he's responsible for Mark Oldberry. And I've, I've gone over, um, if you go back to the Texas episodes, I've gone over why. I discovered that that did not account for being stuck in the mud. Um, and when I went back digging through, you know, the accepted solution for this is the case of James Lamar Tidwell. And when I, I don't at know how accepted that is. The in the FBI files and in American Predator, the proposed solution for being stuck in the mud was the case of James Lamar Tidwell, a missing person during that time frame. On our side of things, we don't accept that. And and realistically, we don't feel like that had anything to do with Israel Keys. Right. And did you want to explain why? There are a number of reasons that on my side of things, and if you want to take this, feel free to jump in anywhere. The biggest thing was the timeline. Right. Well, from a couple, I don't know if you mean from Keys' point of view or from Jimmy Tedwell's point of view, but uh, Jimmy's disappearance, it's not definitively during the time frame that it would need to be in. 
Right. It's almost like he disappears just after Israel Keys. On the report, it's, uh, I believe it's February 28th. That's, okay, so that's when he's reported and the truck is found. But the gist of it is he doesn't show up for work. And then, and that's him being called into work after a long weekend. And uh, as far as James Tidwell goes, he's seen at this at the time that Israel Keys is stuck in the mud, or at least verified by his wife. Who, if she's verifying him, even if he is missing or dead at that point, because his wife Carol was considered to be a missing person as well, briefly. And Jimmy's employer. Jimmy's employer, Flanders Electric, is responsible for Jimmy being reported missing. Right, because he didn't uh, take the call in to go into work early or whatever it was that they were calling him about. And then he didn't show up, which I think he had worked there for quite a few years and that had never happened before. Right. And so uh, that's why he ended up. Uh, being, that's why his employer ended up in reporting him missing because it was out of character. Right. And so we have dug into pretty deep into to Jimmy's case. And we were able to obtain some open records, which had a pretty good uh, a rundown of the case. Jimmy doesn't show up for work on February the 15th, 2012. And by that point, Israel Keys is sort of accounted for. And I say that because he does show back up to his family. And when he shows back up to his family, he ends up having a series of crimes that are trackable. There's the uh, fire, and then there's the bank robbers. I think the fire was in Alito, and the bank robbery was in Azale. Okay, so we have, we have the, the Texas fire, and then the Texas bank robbery. They account for his whereabouts, and they account for him missing his flight and having to give his mom some money in order. She's the one. Israel Keys' mother is the one who rearranges the flights for Keys and his daughter. Right, because they were um, initially supposed to fly out on February 14th. And so let's talk about that for a second. In Keys's case, what I have in my notes is that finally on February 18th, 2012, that uh, they flew from Houston to Anchorage and it was four, they were four days late flying. Right. Okay. So we have, so they're on their cruise and we'll, I'm going to back up and give sort of a really quick run through of the time because on February 1st, that's when Samantha Koenig is taken and February 2nd is when Keyes leaves Anchorage and flies to Houston, where he rents a vehicle and travels to Louisiana. And then from February the 6th through February the 11th, Keyes, his daughter, and his girlfriend are all on a cruise. And when they come back from the cruise, that's February the 11th, they get a car and they drive, uh, it, this is Keith and his daughter, they drive to see his mother. So on February the 13th, 2012. But we think that may be the same car. I'm sorry, yes. <laughs> yeah, I just completely undid what, well, I, I got confused for a second. It says, my note says, in rental car. So it is the same rental car. So they come back on the 11th, of February, they're in New Orleans, they get back in their rental car, and they drive back to Texas from New Orleans. Now that time has passed, when I look at my notes, I don't pick up on the flags that I put. <laughs> right, and we're not directly trying to contradict ourselves, so if we say something uh, that... Like, well, We're trying um, to get to, to an important part of the story that's thoroughly researched, even though it may not come out of our mouths perfectly, it's because it's so convoluted. Right. And so, okay, so they return on the 11th, they drive the 12th, and on the, so the next notable thing, so he's back at his mom's house on the 13th with the knowledge that on the 14th, he should be flying out of Houston to Anchorage. Right. 
uh, with that knowledge, he sneaks out of his mother's home, leaving his daughter there with his family. And he leaves um, a note that says that he's gone to get the car window fixed and to bury his guns. Right. And then he's gone on February the 13th all day. And then on February the 14th, Israel has this communication with his family indicating that um, he's stuck in the mud and that he can't get out and then he doesn't know where he um, is. And then he knows where he's at. He's at a big shopping center in Claiborne, which is an hour away from where his mother lived. And they drive to go get him. But he's not there. And so this is one of the strangest parts of the story. His family sits in the vehicle and they spend the night in the parking lot waiting on him instead of going home and coming back. And so finally, so that's February 14th, the day they're supposed to fly out. He is sort of, I don't know what the right word would be. It's sort of like catfishing. He's saying he's there and he can't find them and he's going to meet them, but he's not really there. And so on February the 15th, uh, after the family spent the night in their vehicle at the shopping center in Claiborne, the following day he shows up at the mall and they take him home. And then he is there and he realizes he's missed his flight. The, well, I'm sure he knew the whole time he had missed his flight. But then um, do you think that the, it's always been my opinion that him having to replace the plane tickets is what prompted the robbery. Yes. Uh, it, I think that he, he robbed to get more cash. I don't know exactly why. Cause he had to pay his mom like $900 for the plane tickets. Right. Well, I looked around and I looked around on this case and, you know, at first glance, I had, I had found this guy, Brad, who his case is now relatively settled. And then there was Jimmy Tidwell who came up. And for me, Jimmy Tidwell's case, because of the similarity to other cases in the area of Jimmy Tidwell, his case for me is now settled. I do not believe that Israel Keys ever met Jimmy Tidwell or had anything to do with him. I do think that some crazy shit happened because of what you were saying. Now, the way I picture it is he's sending these messages. He's got his phone off and his phone's back on and his phone's off and then it's back on. And he's sending these messages because I think he's doing a number of things there. I looked around for a missing person's case for a while that would match that. Now we're talking about trolls and we talk about catfishing there have been people who have shown up recently who swear that they've met Israel Keys. One of them is a person who says he was hitchhiking up in Alaska um, and gave them a funny tasting cigarette or tampered with their cigarettes or something. I never really dug too deeply into that one because I felt like it was pretty much it was it was pretty much a troll like right off the cuff. So I looked at that one and. I looked at another case. Uh, she ended up get, getting featured on uh, True Crime BS. This was a girl who, around this time, says that she met Israel Keys in a cemetery, which actually would almost coincide with uh, the location of Mark Olberry's disappearance. I haven't completely written her off. However, I'm pretty close to having written her off. The conclusions that were come to by other people there as far as the cemeteries situation was that it would have happened in the first week of February. And that's nearly impossible. It would have had to have happened here around the 14th. So around Valentine's day. And I which think it's halfway through the month, which is halfway through the month, not the first week of the month. And I did finally come across a really strange missing person's case. This one, the, it had some elements that reminded me of, honestly, it reminds me of Brianna Maitland's case. And when I looked at this case at first, I discounted it because when I, when I did an open records request for this, I know some people call them FOIA requests, but like sometimes when they're smaller requests, 
what you're really doing is you're just requesting the records based on the state statute. It's not this huge Freedom of Information Act request. It's like a really, it's usually like a couple of lines. They ask you to like give all of your information and identify yourself. Uh, you get further in some cases when you identify basically the dates the people the exact information and, you want yeah yeah and you in most of the time you won't get a lot of information related to like extra stuff you'll either get it or you'll be told why you can't have it and they have to cite exemptions under the law um, for for why you can't have it I was I was looking in this area down in what I'll call right now the Liberty area of Texas. The reason I was looking there was this area, there's two counties. There's essentially Liberty County and Montgomery County that sort of surround the last ATM withdrawals. And my thinking there was that Key's family was fairly new to Texas. And although he had been there, he had not been to this area of Texas. So I felt like whatever he did, he would stay pretty close to like where his family was. And because he takes three trips to Texas during this time. So he's got the first trip. He goes down and he's really just passing through. He heads over to the cruise. He spends... Uh, time with his daughter and then he has like a more romantic time that he spends with his daughter and his partner in a nicer hotel and then they go on a cruise and they come back and that starts the second trip where he goes to see his family in texas from louisiana and this is all happening while samantha koenig is dead up in alaska essentially in his shed so he has to go back there And then he has to do this whole routine where he stages, like she might still be alive, uh, to collect a ransom related to her. So I think that the bank robbery and the ransom were both done because he he was short money for whatever reason. I was going to say, okay, so the story goes that After the cruise, when he's visiting with his family, with his daughter, uh, he leaves and he heads back. And then very quickly, his sisters, two of his sisters are getting married. And he has a a family obligation to return. And I wondered if without that happening, would he have done the entire ransom thing? No, I don't think he would have. And and that was very it's interesting horrifying He'd yeah it was very interesting <laughs> it was very interesting to me that that happened particularly because you know he didn't he didn't plot that stuff out it doesn't seem like the couriers where he he that was a tightly controlled situation everything surrounding what happened with the couriers but he was alone though right he was alone and I started looking for missing persons cases that were very unusual, meaning they either thought they might be solved or for one reason or another, they either made them their way into NamUs very late or they never made their way into NamUs. Related to the first trip to Texas, I found one. And then related to the second trip to Texas, I found a second one. So the first one that I found is a gentleman who went missing whose name is Mark Reinberger. Now, Mark went missing in the middle of Israel Keys being stuck in the mud. So we know he was in Texas. It's not, it's in Liberty County, Texas, although he's technically reported missing over in uh, Harris County. What happens with Mark Reinberger is one of the most bizarre situations I've ever seen. So Mark was a welder. His daughter, uh, her name is Amanda. She's spoken about him a little bit, but it's very difficult to go through and find information about Mark. The thing that made it the most interesting is when I started looking at Mark Reinberger, I got shut down by 
both sheriff's departments. Really? And, yeah. And I couldn't figure out why at first. I sort of expected it from Harris. So Harris is a, it's a huge department. But where he actually went missing was over in Liberty County. So Liberty County has had its share of troubles over the years for a number of different reasons. But I want to tell you the story of Mark Reinberger because uh, it's pretty easily trackable. Mark Reinberger crashed his truck into a dilapidated house in rural Liberty County on on the morning of February the 15th. And he has never been seen again. But the day before... He canceled a Valentine's Day dinner with his former fiance, telling her that someone had been around his trailer and had tried to break in. And he told them that he would, he told her that he would call her later. At about five o'clock in the morning on February the 15th, which was also Mark's 39th birthday, he walked into a gas station in Crosby, Texas, which was near his home and said that he was being chased. An hour later, he pulled up to a second gas station in Cleveland, Texas, saying that he had no money, he was out of gas, and he was being followed. Around 7 o'clock that morning, sheriff's deputies say his white Chevrolet truck hurtled into a house near the Trinity River Bridge off of FM 787, The property owners rushed down to check on the driver to see if they could help, but there was no one there. The keys were still in the ignition. So the search for answers into Reinberger's mysterious disappearance goes down the craziest path you can imagine. Now, the Houston Chronicle covered this, and I tried to reach out to the original um, author of a series of articles about Mark's disappearance. Her name is Lomi Creel, and you can find her online. You can read about Mark in the Houston Chronicle. It's a fascinating story, but I am going to give you like some bits and pieces of it here. First of all, Mark's family is clearly looking for him. And the pictures that they, they have like 10 or 12 pictures attached to the articles about him. And when I say they're looking for him, there are like dozens of people in these pictures holding pictures of Mark. He does not show up anywhere in missing persons records. You have to hunt and hunt to find it. Why do you think that is? I have no idea. I'm going to tell you why it could be, but I don't know for sure. He lived in a remote area that's about, it's about an hour and 15 minutes outside of Houston. There was an investigator on the case named Captain Rex Evans from the Liberty County Sheriff's Department. This guy had his hands full with multiple uh, missing persons cases in this area. Now, I don't think this is a whole keys cluster or anything, but I do think two of these cases are his, and Mark is the first case. So when Mark's truck hits the wall... They do start looking for him. Or hits the hits the house because it hits like this old abandoned barn house, and it looks very similar to the way they describe it and the way that it's sketched up. It looks very similar to the old car in Brianna Maitland's case, parked up against the barn. Right, crashed up against it, more like right, it. right, right. Yeah, it's crashed against it, and that's exactly what this is. So they on March twenty first. Deputies get a tip that comes in anonymously. And this tip says that if they will go down and and look at this particular remote area off of a county road in this trailer, they will find some of Mark's possession. They get there on March 21st. So by this point, Keyes is already in custody. This is a month and change after Mark went missing. Here's what caught my eye about this. This is a set of trailers in a remote location. They don't find Mark's stuff inside the trailers. But when they go to look about 10 miles away from where the truck had crashed, they start a standoff with the residents of these trailers 
who say they have nothing to do with him. They don't know where he is. They don't know who he is. They, they aren't interested in talking to the police, and they're not letting anyone in. Because of the, how this ended legally, I'm not going to name any of the people that are involved in this standoff. You can read about a few of them online, but the, the bottom line is whatever happened here, the cops closed this out after the standoff and some legal, legal wrangling in court. The area that this happened in is called the Romero neighborhood. That's R-O-M-A-Y-O-R. In this area, there were a number of people associated with white supremacy. And when I first read the write-ups about this, I thought they had found Mark's possessions in the trailer related to these guys who affiliate themselves, at least by their own words, with the Texas militia. On March 21st, when the residents refused to come out, they sparked a two-hour standoff that included a call from the ATF and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms in Texas. I can't find that agency. I know who the ATF is. I assume maybe they meant rangers were there. Maybe a special department or something. Right. So they were called in to help detonate a bomb. And it turned out not to be a bomb. The paperwork on that is sealed, and I have no idea why it's sealed. But here's what's interesting. In the woods behind the home where this occurred, this is a trailer. It's in a remote area. They found buckets of ammunition and buckets of gun parts. They automatically assumed that they were affiliated with these people who owned this trailer nearby. And maybe they were. They did detain one person for questioning on an outstanding warrant for possession of a controlled substance. He was held in the Liberty County jail and was later let go. Go ahead. I just wanted to point out the reason that, um, so you were telling the story and you said that there was uh, quite a bit of legal wrangling that occurred. Um, So the people within the trailer that had the standoff with the police, um, they had these, they had an arsenal of weapons and ammunition inside and they were all convicted felons. Right. And so that is where the, um, conflict most likely was Right. as far as them not wanting to get in trouble for it. That's what it appears to me anyway. Right. And so there had been multiple standoffs with this group before for the local, um, deputies in, and this is the Liberty County area. So what's interesting is they do end up finding Mark's jacket and cell phone in the woods near the trailer beside a gravel pit there. They lump it all together, and I think that was an error. There was one guy in the standoff who had a history of violence, but his violence seemed focused towards his wife. And once that had happened they sort of affiliated everyone tied back to this gentleman as being like a problem. So inside the home, they find this large cache of weapons. Mark's family swears he has nothing to do with this group. He may have done some welding work for them or, or had some kind of connection to them that no one knew about, or it could possibly be that the woman that he was currently dating could have been affiliated with this group and he just didn't know it. But here's what caught my eye. The day that Mark went missing, someone started sending harassing messages to his daughter and his ex-fiance. And if you read through all the articles, it's assumed that it is a woman that lived nearby that he had been dating. That's who they assume it is, except his cell phone is found out in the woods. And if if you recall how Israel Keys contacted Samantha Koenig's uh, boyfriend, he initially talked shit to him by text message in order to from uh, Samantha. Samantha. Right. And so this that happened on February the 1st that Israel Keys is texting, uh, texting Samantha Koenig's boyfriend. 
And this would have been on February the 14th and 15th. So, and there are clearly weapons found nearby. The problem I have here is I can't tell the difference between what they found in the trailer and what they found in the woods near the home. That's because of how they just assumed it was all related. And I don't think that it was. So let's, um, okay. So Mark Reinberger is last seen, uh, at a gas station, uh, essentially with no money for some reason he is, uh, he is fleeing and, and relays that he's being chased. So, um, and then the next thing we know, his truck ends up parked in a building. Crashed into a building, yeah. Um, and so, like, let's relate that to Keys. Okay. What, how I relate it to Keys in this instance is Keys sees him or Keys sees him seeing him. Keys goes out to bury his guns. This guy sees him and Keys locks in on him. Because he can't have anybody see him doing his thing. I think that Keyes basically ends up hunting this guy. And that is why the communications with his family are so sporadic. He finally catches him and does whatever with him the morning of February the 15th. And then he goes to his family up in Tex- up in um, the, the shopping center, Cleburne. And so the reason we end up on Mark Reinberger is because... We kid you not, there's not a whole lot else. Um, No. There's really not. And so it's really interesting. So, you know, I've read through um, his case, and I have just this never-ending conundrum with these types of cases because, to me, I feel like it's one of the worst things that we can do is to say, like, oh, have you considered your loved one that's missing may have been a victim of a serial killer? But... Um, In this case, I feel like uh, the timing and the coincidence of it all is worth mentioning because there is nobody else. He, I don't think he's in NamUs, right? Not currently. The assumption, okay, so the way that law enforcement treated me is he's still missing. Stuff occasionally gets mentioned that he is missing. As far as I can tell, the Texas Rangers still think he is missing. But when I go to look for actual paperwork on him, they're saying that the standoff indicated that he was, they don't collect any evidence. Yeah. They're saying he's dead. They're saying he's dead from the standoff and that, but he's not because the articles are all written much later where he's still missing. Mm, Okay. That's really weird. So is he, um, does he have an obituary? No. Okay. Well, that's really strange. But, you know, in those types of situations, there's not a whole lot you can do. But a bit he shows, he shows up in press releases in 2016 and 2018 where, and this is how it goes. I think the last one was 2019. What you have to look for there is human remains found in this area. And you have to choose the names of the cities. And they'll say human remains found in Crosby, Texas. And then in the press release, it will say who the rule outs are. Yeah, and it'll go through because there it'll, are a lot of people missing around and, there. And it'll say it is not Mark Any of those Larry guys. Reinberger. Right. <laughs> and so we had dug into four of these cases here. Mark was the case that, in my opinion, if Israel Keys was stuck in the mud for whatever reason, it is because he was doing something with or to. Mark Larry Reinberger of Crosby, Texas. Right. And so the vicinity and the timing, it fits and it's all that fits really. Yeah. If he did something to this guy and and so the truck is found and dealt with a little later in the day, but the last time he would have been seen is just before 7 a.m. at a gas station. And that is essentially, that's where Mark Reinberg really disappears. If I have to say like, like a time. Do you think that some of the stuff that, because either somebody, according to the accounts that we read, Mark Reinberger, he was either high or he was actually being chased by somebody that was uh, scaring him. And he alleged that somebody had tried to break into his trailer. Do you think that like it could, that could have been keys as well? Well, 
yeah, I think Keys. I think this was a. I think Keys ran across this guy while he was bearing his gun. I don't think it was a plan to kill someone, but there's a line where Bell asks him, "Hey, did you actually get stuck in the mud somewhere in the interviews?" And Keys says, "Yeah, I just." I, the longer I stayed out of Dallas, the longer I was down south, the more I was thinking I wanted to do something else. And I think Mark Reinberger is that something else. Huh. I think I think Mark Reinberger is why he got stuck in the mud. And I actually think he, his body is findable. Here's what's interesting. There are camping locations very close to where the standoff occurred. There are, There's water locations nearby. There are pit latrines nearby. I think his body is findable. And I'm just going to go ahead and say that, like, if, like, as much as I'm not convinced of Jimmy Tidwell, the timing of Mark Reinberger and Israel Keyes showing back up, I don't necessarily think he had a great, good, long time to, to do whatever. And I say that comparing it to Samantha Koenig. I don't think Mark Reinberg would have been as satisfying a kill for Israel Keyes because I think it ended up being rushed. But I think that this, like everything that he says surrounding being stuck in the mud, I think it would fit with him having chased down Mark Reinberger. And I think because of the standoff happening the way that it did and Mark's jacket and cell phone being found, I think they basically have wrapped that case up with a bow on it as never going to be solved because they think it's all related to this militia nonsense. So I it's mean, the kind of case that's solved, it, but not really. Right. It's closed, but not solved, which is different than solved, but not closed. Solved, but not closed means nobody's ever been brought to justice, but everybody knows what happened. And then if you flip that and you say it's closed, but not solved, it means everybody assumes they know what happened and they're not doing anything about it. But they, they really don't have the right solution. I think that the right solution here is that Israel Keys, more likely than not, made Mark Reinberg his next Mark Reinberger his next to last victim. That's what I think. I think that um, I think that the timing is definitely uh, the timing and location is definitely something. But and I don't know I don't know what the solution is. It seems like. Uh, you're right. They've decided whatever they think happened happened. So I don't know. And I think I think Keys lost the jacket and the phone. I think that would be the last thing he was trying to do before he went and met his family. He was trying to find Mark's jacket and phone. That's how I, that's how it ended up where it was, rather than him having it with him because he was. I, I think he took it. I think he got it first. I don't think this sounds crazy. But I think whatever cat and mouse went on with Keys and Reinberger lasted a long time, much longer than Israel Keys anticipated or wanted. And I think it's because like something was unusual about it. You know, we talk about Keys and his MO and all of these things. I genuinely believe that like we're we're doing a disservice by believing the words out of Keys' mouth overall. But I understand you've laid out for me some pretty good reasons to believe he has no reason to really lie about some of this stuff. So I was going to say, like, do you think he was being deceptive intentionally? Cause that's no, pretty no, no, much no. what it would have to be. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, I'm saying maybe we're listening too hard. Like we're looking for uh, somebody who went up on Mount Everest and was never seen again and taken because that's how keys describes. And I understand. I understand. I'm, I'm, full of hyperbole when I say that. I'm just saying, what if it's more like this? Keyes was in the middle of nowhere, in his opinion, because he's in this remote spot. He's burying his guns and his haul from his bank. Uh, well, I guess he, he wouldn't have had the have, bank robbery. Right. Mm-hmm. But he's burying his guns with the intention of coming back here at, to do the bank stuff. I'm just saying, what if he's here and he wants no one to know that he's here, wherever he is? which is close to this one of these locations where Mark Reinberger is seen. Mark Reinberger sees him because he's out fucking around doing whatever or just driving home and sees him. And that turns into this little cat and mouse thing that doesn't last very long. But what if he really was being chased that last bit by Israel Keys? 
Um, that makes me sort of revert back to where, um, out of Key's mouth, we know that he mentioned before he went to the courier's house, like the thunderstorm, and how he watched the guy in the yellow V-dub bug. Right. Um, and how he, if that guy had been like 10 seconds slower, he would have been the victim that night, is yeah. what he said. But he didn't pursue him. Well, that's different for me. Can I tell you why? Well, sure. Um, but that's just what I have in my mind as far as him I, chasing I, someone. I totally agree with that from the chase perspective, except this person saw him burying his shit. That's the difference. I guess I, uh, based on him burying his guns, like, why wouldn't he just, like, take them elsewhere? Because you have to remember, at this point in time, he's got that debit card, and he's going back to do this whole thing with the ransom with Samantha Koenig. There is no way he went on a cruise ship, possibly killed Mark Oldberry, and is now out in Texas wandering around in the woods thinking that it is a good idea for him to be caught and talked to by the cops. That's another thing he said. If he got caught by the cops, it'd all be over. We don't know for certain that he had the uh, debit card with him. No, we don't know that 100% for certain, but we do know that Samantha Koenig is in the shed at his house. We do know that, right? So that alone, think about that for a second. Maybe that's it. Samantha Koenig's in the shed at the house. That's the reason to not get caught and arrested in Texas with these illegal guns and held because Kimberly's going to go home. What about that guy? What about Mark Reinberger would give him the impression that he was going to turn him in? I don't know that that's what it was. I'm just saying he may have treated anyone with caution or maybe the two things collide. Mark Reinberger sees him and then, you know, keys thinks to himself and like it could have been that he sees him at 4 a.m. Well, that would be really coincidental um, based on like what has been said that was happening leading up to it. Yeah. I, it would be hard for me to put all this together. I still think. There's I think the timing in the vicinity is enough to consider it. Right. So we have Mark Reinberger. He is probably the most interesting of these cases in terms of like the stuck in the mud fits. He's the only one, really. If you discount Jimmy Tidwell for reasons like he, his reported missing date is February 28th, which I know there's more to the story than that, but I've read all the... Um, I read all the f- case files that are available, and it's not that much more to it. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like it's it's a it's wiggling it to make it work. I would, yeah, I would agree with that. So Mark Ryan, Mark Larry Reinberger is five feet ten inches tall. He weighed around 170 pounds. He had black hair and brown eyes. He was last seen on February the 15th of 2012, around 5:30 a.m. He was 39 years old. He's wearing blue jeans and and boots. He was driving a 2009 white four-door Chevy pickup. Which has since been recovered. And if you know anything about his case, it is asked that you contact the Harris County Sheriff's Department, even though he technically is missing from Liberty County. These kind of cases, to me, are some of the saddest why why do you feel like they're the saddest well i mean apart from like some little child like these guys get disregarded discarded actually both because essentially the say you've got a guy who he was just doing his own thing uh it was his 39th birthday and this case is never going to be solved they feel like they know who did it, except they don't have enough evidence to uh, bring that person to justice. Right. And they are making no strides in getting the evidence. And I don't know, like, why that is. I don't know what the dynamic is there. Um, you know, I imagine that, uh, you know, the standoff with the initial possible persons of interest could be one of the holdup factors. Um, And I'm not saying that I feel like the coincidence with keys is it's, it's enough to warrant a closer look. The issue is 
We could say just about anything because the police have clearly already made up their mind. And, uh, but it's not substantiated. So, what is it about Mark Larry Reinberger that makes it okay that he just disappeared that day and he's thought to be murdered, regardless of who murdered him, and it's just going to go unsolved? Like, why is that okay? Thank you for joining us for our Cruel Summer episodes, where we go back to looking at Israel Keys. We are sponsored by LabratiCreations.com. You can check them out at LabratiCreations.com, and you can still use the code CRIMEXS for a fun pop pet portrait of your own pet. You can also reach us on Twitter, Instagram, at TrueCrimeXS, or you can give us a call if you know anything about any of the cases that we're talking about at 252-365-5593. You can also reach us at Gmail at TrueCrimeXS at gmail.com. And you can check out our website at www.TrueCrimeXS.com. We'll see you next time. You know, Texas always frustrates me. Brandon Lawson really frustrated me. Um, Mark Reinberg frustrated, that case frustrates me. And uh, we have one more Texas case that we're going to come back to, but uh, we're going to, next week is not that case. Next week is a different case. Um, it's actually two cases. We went, we were, we were digging pretty deep because we wanted to explore some of the places that is harder to get to or there were less missing persons and, and we, we came across two cases that I think we finally decided on a, on a victim type um, that we think is, I don't know, these two cases just seem like keys to us. And, and we're going to talk about them uh, next week. Way less frustrating than Texas is, that's for sure. Oh